the first time that I felt like my gender affected what I could do was when I won the Olympic trials in the 2004 steeplechase. And it was an exhibition only event because the steeplechase was not added to the Olympics yet for women. Yeah. And so I had won the Olympic trials, set an American record, a U.S. all comers record. It was the number two time in the world. And I couldn't go to the Olympics because they didn't have my event yet for women. Yeah. And that was the first time. So I was 22 and that was the first time I ran into that issue. This episode of the Smart Athlete Podcast is brought to you by Solpre. If you're active at all, whether you're running or simply out walking for the day, you've probably experienced one of the number one problems that active people have, and that's chafing. Solpre's all-new, all-natural anti-chafe balm solves that problem while feeding your skin the vital nutrients it needs to be healthy. If you'd like to stop chafing once and for all and treat your body right, Go to Solpri.com to check out the anti-chafe bomb today. And that's S-O-L-P-R-I.com. Welcome to the Smart Athlete Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Funk. My guest today is a former Division I athlete at the University of Nebraska, the former American record holder in the 2000 and 3000 meter steeplechase, um, woman after my own heart, though I'm sure much faster than me um, as I ran this steeple in college. It's a great time for anybody who has the opportunity. Uh, she is the 2004 U.S. Olympic Trials Steeplechase Champion, currently the Director of Technology at Dimensional Innovations here in Kansas City. She's on the board for Win for Casey and the board for USA Bobsled and Skeleton. You can find her on Twitter at Ann Gaff. Welcome to the show, Ann Gaff again. Thank you for having me. A fellow steeplechaser, I missed that. <laughs> Good to know. It's a, it's a small tidbit. It's a very small tidbit in my history. Um, my tendency... It, which is how I kind of became an endurance athlete in the first place is I go, what is the thing everybody else hates doing? I'll do that thing. Um, so that's Same. kind of how, yeah, I, was, I feel like people come, it, you've got much deeper experience in steeplechase than I do. Um, so let me throw this theory at you. I feel like people come to the steeplechase from two avenues generally. One as mentioned, the everybody hates the hates this, so I'm gonna like kick ass at it. And coach says I'm not good at anything else, and we need <laughs> points. So like, let's just throw just throw me in the steeplechase and try to get some points because there's not enough people in the event. Those are the two avenues I feel like <laughs> happen the most often for that event. Well, I'll throw in a third one. Okay, maybe it's like second or two A, but might be a third. So. When I was a freshman at the University of Nebraska, that was the first year that they had the steeplechase for women at the collegiate level. Mm -hmm. And so the reason that I got into it is because my coach was like, I think that the people that get into this event first and figure it out are going to have the most success, at least early on. And he felt like with my background as a soccer player and just multi-sport athlete that I would be able to handle the the pounding, and it is much more pounding than, than, um, a typical flat race, especially with the water jump, yeah. that I'd be able to handle it, um, and not get injured as much or as, as like, as likely to be injured. And, uh, that really excited me to be a part of something that was brand new. 
So that was kind of my avenue in. And I feel like we should explain what it is because not everybody knows what it is. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm, it's, it's been long enough. I'm going to get this wrong. Um, two or I'll 3, fact check meter. you. I'll yeah, 3,000 3, 3, meter race. So just shy of two miles, seven and a half laps around the track. First lap or partial lap as it is, you do not go over the water barrier. There's 24 barriers. That's the part I always, I always 35. There's, 35. There's five barriers per lap. Five barriers, right. Okay. So that, that's like, that's the part I was like, I was like, that math doesn't seem like it checks out. Um, so four barriers and the uh, pit or the steeple, the, the steeple pit. Um, I think, and this is something I haven't checked, collegiate pit distance is 10 feet and pro is 12 feet. No, nope, it's 12 all around. And that is was actually, around? that was, I, well, we definitely had like a shorter pit. There are some school. 10s. So that was actually um, an issue for the women because originally the women's pit was supposed to be 10 collegiate and professional, you know, international, what have you. And the problem with that was not all pits around the world were built to be shortened. You know, they couldn't right. move the, um, the barrier mm -hmm. on all of them. A lot of them were just built to be where they were and the pit was what it was. And so that actually held up the women getting added to the Olympics because it has to be, an event has to be contested at a certain number of championships before they get added to worlds and then to the Olympics. And the reason it wasn't is because not everybody, not all these venues had a 10 foot pit. So I ran on a ton of 10 foot pits in mm -hmm. college. And then um, post-collegiately at some point in like the 2004, 2005 range, they changed the official women's distance or pit distance, pit length to 12 feet. So that's that it. we just didn't have to worry about that. Just everybody's doing a 12 foot pit. That's so, the thing I could never figure out because we, the college I went to had a 10 foot pit and like by my junior year, I finally had the strength to clear the pit consistently. And then when we raced conference that year, they had a 12 foot pit and my whole like balance was totally changes everything yeah. i mean my coach he's a he's a stickler for stats and so if we raced on a on a 10 foot pit he did not count that as your pr and mm -hmm. there was some kind of adjustment like 10 seconds or something so it, it makes a pretty big difference yeah and and yeah. for those who've never done the event um you do want to land a little bit in the water to soften the blow but not too much because then not only are you water then you're your shoes, trudging through the water. water right you're wasting time yeah um for the few steeplechasers i've so, so this is now turned into steeplechase however so sorry for you the listener we will get on to other things i always i always have to ask any other uh steeplechaser and again um i'm sure you're uh much uh more experienced in steeplechase than i am but my theory is that no matter who you are your very first steeplechase hurts like hell despite whatever preparation you've done to, to make sure that it's not that way. And so can, can you, do you remember the very first time you raced it? I do. And I don't remember it. Well, I shouldn't say I don't remember it hurting, but that's not the most significant thing I remember. Okay. I just remember being very terrified of the water jump because we had not had a chance to do it back in Nebraska yet because of the weather. Mm -hmm. So there hadn't been a warm enough day where we could put water in the pit. And listen, we would have done it if it was 37 degrees, right? Like it had not been above freezing. Yeah. And so the first 
steeplechase that I did in a race, I had done plenty of barriers, but not a water pit. And I was trying to warm up on the water pit and do a water jump. And I just kept stopping at the, at the barrier. And so I was, I couldn't get myself to jump over the thing. And so I was terrified that that's what was going to happen in the race. I was just going to run up to the thing and stop. And so I had to leave the track. I went for a run around the fields that they had nearby and just had to talk myself into it and then come back. And I got one in before the race happened. The comforting thing was the same thing was happening to the one other woman that was in my race. And that's just how it was for us because it was such a new event. Mm -hmm. She was having a hard time too. So at least I didn't feel like the only one dealing with that. But I will say after the first race every season, and that this wasn't just the first time, but the first race of every season, I couldn't walk for the rest of the week because I was so sore. And for clarification, if, if you've never, you the listener, if you've never watched the steeplechase, unlike um, like say sprint hurdles, 100, 110, 300, 400, whatever it is, um, you can actually, these are barriers rather than hurdles. So you can Yeah, step they don't on collapse, them. you do. <laughs> yeah, right. If you hit them, yeah. you are not going to win that battle. Um, but with the, with the pit in particular, um, generally speaking you'll occasionally see like a pro guy try to just fly over the whole thing but typically you're stepping on the barrier and then jumping off of it or lunging off of it however you want to say it um i always like to tell people like because i think you and i could probably both sit and watch any men's or women's five thousand ten thousand on the track and kind of see like what's going on and who's playing what like and kind of understand the tactics of what's going on on track but average Joe, I think it, it, for most people, they're like, I don't like, why am I, what's going on? Why this is boring. They're bored. Yeah. But I felt, I got my family to watch the steeplechase and they were like thrilled with the steeplechase. Mm-hmm. So I always suggest if you have the opportunity and you're like, uh, distance running on the track's dumb or boring, watch a steeplechase. You will definitely be entertained. There's a lot more going on. There's a lot more movement. Um, it's a lot more, more things involved. can happen. Yeah yeah for so sure it's it i always try to you know give it a little bit of push and maybe make it less of the like redheaded stepchild that i kind of feel like it maybe i was or whatever it, it being yeah. involved in the steeplechase so yeah for sure um so we'll move on the the thing that we'll i want to ask you about that you said people always ask you about is given that you were a steeplechaser how do you get involved with USA bobsled and skeleton? Cause I, I, before we were recording, you know, you said people would be like, what do you know about bobsled? And, you know, I was giving you a hard time because <laughs> yeah, you just, you just jump over things and you, you get wet. You're not, you know, as you mentioned, no ice involved with the steeplechase. So right. what's how the correlation? How do you, yeah. How do you get there? Yeah. Well, um, So, you know, I, if you look at the board members of, of any NGB national governing body, it certainly is not filled with, uh, people who are experts in the event and that's by design, right? Like there are some representatives that, that certainly come from that, but the idea of a well-rounded board is to bring a variety of, uh, backgrounds and experience and expertise together, not just for the good of, um, 
you know, the technical aspects of the sport, but the, the financial stability of the organization, which, you know, feeds the technical aspects, right? So um, I was heavily involved as an athlete with USA Track and Field uh, from the time that I was an emerging pro all the way through, uh, you know, multiple years after I had retired as an athlete, I was on the Athletes Advisory Committee, um, which is pretty robust, relatively speaking, for a national governing body um, in terms of, you know, how many people are on that committee and what influence it has in the organization. So I was in what they call an event leader for a long time. I represented women's uh, 1500 meter to 5k, I believe. And um, then eventually was was one of the elected officers. And so after that, I I moved on from that um, maybe in 2019-ish and um, was just really looking for a way to stay involved in an Olympic sport. Um, And there was an opportunity to do that with USA Bobsled and Skeleton through some connections that I had. And I thought that it was really interesting because it's a winter sport. It is a sport that we kind of consider a a sister sport to USA track and field because um, it is not uncommon for some of the team members on USA Bobson Skeleton to be former track athletes, Um, whether that whether out of college they transitioned to bobsled and skeleton or, you know, after at the end of their pro track and field career, they transitioned over. So, um, you know, there is that connection. And also, it is a smaller NGB than USA track and field. So I felt like, okay, maybe I can lend some expertise as to how, you know, where, what we could get to and how we could continue to grow and evolve. And then just from a business standpoint, um, doing what I do, I felt like, um, you know, being a leader where I am and having that business background that I could lend some expertise there. And, you know, so the way it works is, you got to know somebody they've got to, they've got to ask you if you're, if you want to be nominated, they nominate you. And then there's a a committee that determines who's the right fit, who fills the gaps that they have on the board. And so I was lucky enough to be selected and um, it's been really fun. I, I joined during the pandemic. So last weekend was the first time that I attended an in-person board meeting, which was great. Got to finally meet everybody in person. It's just not the same doing things over Zoom and and meet a lot of the athletes who were there for the annual meeting. And um, that was such a relief because um, I, you know, need another Zoom board meeting, like I need a hole in my head. So it was great to meet everybody and, and uh, tour the Olympic Museum too, which was really awesome. So. So uh, I guess talk to me a little bit about like what as a board, are you doing are you guys like working on the development pipeline which i'm kind of interested like mm-hmm. it, it, i'm more familiar with like usa triathletes development pipeline since i was involved in that post-collegiately for a number of years um and i know each sport kind of has their own setup kind of and how they find potential athletes to you know become olympians or pros um so so what what is the function of the board what do you what are yeah. you guys meeting about basically? Yeah. Um, you know, in terms of development pipeline and stuff, that's really on the CEO and his staff. The okay. board's the board's purview is to be stewards of the organization and make sure that we are upholding the mission. Um, and the mission is around 
the athlete being successful on and off the track. So, and, and that's that off the track part is a new addition to the mission statement as of maybe, I feel like we talked about the first board meeting that I was in. And so we are making sure, you know, we're not directly making decisions on a day-to-day -day basis. We're making sure that overall um, everything is working towards that mission. And I would say one of the most important jobs that we have is helping ensure that the organization is moving to a more financially stable place. And that's probably our biggest concern is just funding. Um, as with all U.S. Olympic NGBs, we are not funded by the government the way a lot of our competitive, uh, competitor countries are. And so we're really relying on sponsors and private donors. And that's tough. It's a, it's a constant battle, you know, especially when you're an Olympic sport and every four years is when everyone wants to be a part of it and then they disappear. And so um, I think it's even tougher for winter sports because for whatever reason, they, they aren't quite given the spotlight that the, that the summer Olympics are, I mean, they're on TV just the same and all of that, but for some reason it just doesn't garner the same level of, of support uh, financially that the, that the summer sports get. So, I mean, the bulk of our conversations is around money, uh, where we need it, where we have it, what the, what the athletes are having to pay for and, you know, what we want to work towards in, in terms of them not having to come out of pocket to represent Team USA, um, how we do that, how we work our own connections to bring in, you know, either value in kind or, or money. So one of the biggest, one of the biggest um, kind of related points there that costs money, but, but indirectly was about money was technology and our ability to stay competitive with the other countries and our athletes are are really good we we win medals every olympics and every world cup uh because our athletes are just that good but we are actually pretty far behind from a technology standpoint which is as you can imagine really important in this sport because of the, the sleds you know sled technology is everything and uh so we're getting we're getting behind these other countries and we got to figure out how to step it up. So that costs money. Yeah. Um, well, I think maybe one of the, you know, speaking of the challenges of winter sports in particular, I also kind of felt like, I don't know if it's somehow a roundabout effect of like, I'll call it COVID mania, but just like a change in mindset from everybody being shut in for a couple of years. It seemed like even like the Summer Olympics didn't quite get the same kind of, I'll say fervor as it feels like it's had in the past This in, for Tokyo. Um, and then to have the Winter Olympics fall it right up, at, you know, I think it was like, it almost felt like, and maybe it just is speaking from me and, and I'm generalizing, almost like burnout's a little bit dramatic, but um, something like that where it's like, you know, you're not wrong. Just, you're you know, not wrong. The numbers and actually the um, the Olympic Committee CEO Sarah Hirschling came in and talked to us for part of our meeting, and as one of the things that she said was that the viewership numbers for summer and winter were down, mm -hmm. and and that's a trend that um, this is not the first Olympics where that was a trend that they saw, and it's um, it's not so much COVID related as it is the Olympics are taking a PR hit these days right. with 
for a lot of reasons. You know, in in the United States, um, there's been issues with you know all of the gymnasts that were sexually abused by a doctor, and um, they felt like the USA Gymnastics did not come to their aid, nor did the Olympic Committee. And that's a that's a bad look. <laughs> understatement of the year right it's it's uh it's not good and um you know the international olympic movement has been taking hits for years because they will award the olympics to countries that are known for human rights violations and then continue those by the way that they um use uh the way that they abuse labor to get ready for those games. So um, all of those things, you know, when we were kids, right, the Olympics are this wonderful thing and it's a unification of the countries together. And it's, you know, there's so much pride in it and everything. And um, unfortunately, recently, it's also been representing some of these um, bad actors and, um, situations where the powers that be are using their power for bad and not good right and not protecting you know the athletes or the people that are boots on the ground so it's really a shame and we have a lot of work to do uh to right that ship and fix those things not fix the fix the reputation the reputation will get fixed when it deserves it but fix those things and those those um atrocities Uh, yeah i know i've seen you know, comments online. And again, I, I, I never know quite how representative of the whole it is, because I, I feel like, especially now, we often get siloed into our own little corners of the internet in some ways. But I've definitely seen like critiques of the IOC and what they're doing. And um, at the same time, to, to give them a little bit of deference, um, they're sitting in the seat, not us, which gets a kind of backseat driving the Olympics from many of the public going, oh, no, I would have done this or that. It's like, well, you're not the president of the IOC. So um, I don't know that I have the right answer there. Uh, but another thing I may be confounding things for us in the U.S., which uh, for you, the listener, you probably aren't familiar and I'm sure is not that he's the greatest source on everything. But interestingly, uh, I was listening to 96.5 the other day and Laszlo was talking about the Olympics for some reason and mentioning like the idea of people being so divided in the country right now they're like we couldn't even come together as like a unified country to support the Olympics like there wasn't even that feeling of like you know national pride just for the, that that period of time so I don't know whether that's even you know another cofactor in kind of declining viewership or whatever because it I kind of would agree with him. It didn't it, past Olympics, Olympics have felt like, you know, everybody's for team USA. Right. And then now there's this division, stronger division in the country at the moment. And I just don't know how much, or if that's influencing, you know, I'll say national pride or something like that, that kind of plays into a lack it's of viewership. Her, it- it certainly could be, you know, it certainly could be. And I think, you know, with, with the internet and streaming and like all these different ways to gain information, there's lots of negatives to that, but there's also, 
uh, things are coming to light that previously were much easier to hide, you know? So, um, and those things really run the gamut between sexual abuse and like financial, I guess, uh, disparity, you know? So, I mean, when I was a kid, the Olympics, all the athletes, you know, were understood and, and supposedly required to be amateurs. Right. And that was held up as this wonderful thing because they weren't doing it for the money. And isn't that awesome? And I think people's uh, understanding and opinion on that has evolved just like it has about NCAA athletes where it's mm -hmm. like, well, that's all fine and good as long as others aren't making billions of dollars off of their free performances. And that is exactly what's happening, you right. know? So, I mean, if you are, if you are on the IOC uh, committee, whether it's board or it's a related committee on the IOC and you travel, which, um, depending on your position, you could be traveling 300 days a year and that would not be uncommon. Your per diem is close to a thousand dollars. So think about that. You travel 300 days a year. You're on the IOC committee. You're not paid a salary, but you're getting a thousand dollars a day per diem. That's a lot of money. You could do that for a job and be sitting pretty, right? Mm -hmm. What are the athletes getting paid? Zero. Right. And then, and also, you know, um, restricted from, you know, I, I think. Restricted from representing their sponsors. Right, right. sponsors the logos on. Yeah. On this, right, which. So, I mean, a lot of that is is coming to light these days because it's easier to get that information out there than when we were kids and, you know, I don't know how old you are, but like, you early know. Early 30s. Okay. So yeah. when I'm, when I'm, when I was five, you know, I don't think we had more than like 20 channels, yeah. you know, so there's only so much information you can get. And that isn't the type of stuff that they're talking about. Cause that's no fun. We want to talk about, you know, the heartwarming stories and what have you. And yeah. so now the the stories are much more colorful and they're coming from different places and people feel differently about them and argue about them. I mean, when you were saying, geez, it seems like we can't even rally around uh, Team USA together, I immediately thought of Simone Biles and how she had, you know, she had to step away from competition because of the twisties or whatever they call it, mm -hmm. you know, mental health and only thing in my timeline was people arguing about whether she was weak or strong because of that. You know, I mean, we couldn't even just, we had to argue about that. Yeah. Right. And, and all I'm the people in my timeline arguing about it, good and bad, all the people in my timeline arguing about it for yeah. or against her. Yeah. We're nowhere near the level that she is or has been. Right. And so that's, it's interesting. And it's, little think about little i know i was talking about that as it was going on i know i have i feel like i was talking to somebody that has like a connection to us gymnastics while that was going on on the podcast i cannot remember i remember it was a lady it's it'll come to me after we get done recording um i think i remember thinking at the time like basically everybody needs to shut up <laughs> like because you have no idea what it's like you yeah, know right right and it's like yeah. you know in this I, I find myself in, the, in this kind of position a lot of the time where it's like, I, even right now, like in this conversation, like I want to relate to you because we both ran the steeplechase, but like at the same time, 
we I don't know what it's like to race at your level in in that race. I just don't. And you and even racing division one, I, I race basically uh, ran a division two school. So like you went through pressures that I didn't experience. And like, I probably even went through pressures that average Joe that didn't race collegially didn't experience. And it's right. hard to translate those things, let alone you get to Simone Biles, Michael Phelps, like that kind of yeah. pinnacle and yeah. the expectation, the pressure, the, the demands from sponsors, I'm sure like, <laughs> And also the physical danger right. of what she does in the air, like for, for her sport specifically, you know, if I run up to the steeplechase and don't get over the water jump, worst that's going to happen is I, you know, I skin my knee or something like that. Right. Maybe I could sprain an ankle. She's in the air flipping around and around. If it's not, if she's not clicking, she breaks her neck. Yeah. And, you know, to me, the, the, the clearest argument is, do you think, she would choose to opt out of the opportunity to win an Olympic medal. You think she just didn't want to do it? Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't interested, right. you know, like obviously she was in, she was in a pretty serious place and uh, it just boggles my mind that uh, regular people would have the nerve to criticize someone like her. Like you're just, you're not on her level. You're not even, and you never will be you know and it's just incredible <laughs> it, there, i i think it goes along with the idea and, and i'm guilty of this certainly i mean in, in giving my opinion here but um i, I think we all f feel entitled to give our opinions on everything nowadays and it's like as we mentioned um if you'll pardon the french like you don't know shit like just yeah. shut your mouth and let yeah. like let them take care of it <laughs> It, yeah that's that's i think what we societally have difficulty with is just being like saying i don't know i'm not going to give an opinion and i'm yeah. going to let the person that actually does know make the decision yeah and i hope she's okay right yeah, like right. I, I wish her well she's yes. she's team usa i wish her well you yeah. know like that's what i would have liked to see more of and there was plenty of that to be fair yeah. Right. But it's, it's, uh, but I, I, I think you're see. right. I don't think it was the predominant conversation. Yeah. 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 Um, thinking about, uh, advocating for women in sports though, I do, uh, before we run out of time, I want to ask you a little bit about win for KC. I've, I've seen signage. Obviously I would not be involved not being a woman. Um, but can you talk a little bit about what it is, what it does, why it exists. You can always certainly be involved. We have men on our board. We love our I mean, I wouldn't have like, just say. wouldn't have been like brought up in the program is what I mean. Gotcha. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. So win for kc is, it stands for Women's Intersport Network for Kansas City. It's an arm of the Sports Commission. And I got involved about uh, almost 12 years ago when I moved to Kansas City and I was looking for an organization to be a part of. And um, I found Win for Casey, and uh, Kathy Nelson was the director at the time after taking over from Patty Phillips, who had been the longtime director and had built Win up from this kind of fledgling organization to something really significant with a lot of community support. Um, Kathy Nelson had taken over from Patty, 
and it was her first year. And so when I was connected with her, um, she said, yeah, we'd love you to be involved. Um, why don't you come to our banquet, our annual banquet? It's in February. And I was kind of bummed because that it was November when we talked. So I was like, oh man, I got to wait three months, but that's okay. I'll go to their banquet. I'm sure it's a nice little banquet. Like how big can it be? It's a women and girls in sports organization. It's probably a cute, like 100 person banquet, you know? And so I put it on my calendar and I planned to go. And the day before the banquet, she, Kathy called me and she got my number from Athletes for Hope, which was the organization that connected me with them. It's a fantastic organization. They connect athletes with local community organizations. And so I don't know who this person is. It's calling me because I don't have her number. We'd only spoken over email. And she tells me she's frantic. She said, this is Kathy Nelson. And basically their keynote speaker, Jenny Finch, the softball player, was stuck in Louisiana because of ice storms and wasn't gonna be able to make it in for the banquet the next day. And so she's like, I don't know if you do anything like this, but could you speak for us tomorrow? Could you be the keynote speaker? And I just said, sure, immediately without thinking about it because she was so frantic. And I thought, well, someone has to do this, you know? And you know, people always ask, oh, well, did you give speeches before? The answer is no, but I just, <laughs> I felt like, well, I can, I can talk to women. It's a clutch decision. You, you just, uh, yeah. Like I've just felt like talking to people who are there to support women and girls in sports. I can totally think of something like, I'll mm -hmm. do it, you know? Yeah. And, um, then I, I said, yes. And I started asking her questions about how many people are going to be there and who's going to be there and quickly realized that this was a significant event. Mm -hmm. 1,500 or 2000 people are there you know, major sponsors from the area, Price Chopper, Bank of America, what have you, and um, that it was a pretty big deal. <laughs> it was too late to say no. So long story short, I gave the speech the next day. Um, it went very well. And I fell in love with Win for Casey. And so I've been a part of it ever since. I always coach track and field at Camp Win, which is going on right now. Um, and as of a couple of years ago, and this is the other board I joined during the pandemic, I joined their board. And so Kathy Nelson has since moved into the president of the Kansas City Sports Commission position. And now she is joint CEO of the Sports Commission and Visit KC, hmm. which is amazing. And she's done an incredible job and Kudos to her and Catherine Holland for winning the World Cup, among many other national events that they've I was like, won. Yeah, no, I was like, I, now I got a name to know who to yes. spearheading that initiative. Yeah. Yes. And um, so, yeah, so now I'm on the board. My daughter is actually a junior captain at Camp Win as we speak. And uh, yeah, it's just very, this organization is very near and dear to my heart. I'm friends with a lot of the people on the board and, and uh, just love supporting them in any way in their mission. I, it's one of those things where like, like I said, I, because I clearly would not have been brought up in the programs. Like I've seen, seen the stuff around town, seen the stuff growing up, but I'm just like, it never really registered, you know, like what's happening. And, and same thing with like the sports commission. I, I'm pretty sure they've got signage in various places, but it's just like part of it is I live in my own bubble. So I'm like, there are things going on around town and I'm just not, <laughs> just not aware. So it's nice to speak to somebody that actually is connected in what's happening and what's going on. Um, so are you, so in a similar fashion, you're on the board, meaning you're trying to make sure like um, 
bobsled and skeleton. You're trying to make sure things are funded and moving in the positive direction that the yeah. So the, the mission of WIN is to empower girls and women through sports. And I would call it much more of a participatory board because we're all local. So not only can we all meet in person, although we did do some Zoom during the pandemic, but all of their events are here and we are here. So in my mind, like as a board member, it's my responsibility to volunteer whenever I can to be at their events, to go to Camp Win and speak or be a coach, to volunteer when they put on the triathlon later this summer. This afternoon, I'm guest bartending at Boulevardia at the KC Current booth, um, booth mm -hmm. and that raises money for Win for KC. So um, to me, it's a little different from USA Bobsled and Skeleton, where I feel like my role and my passion at USA Bobsled and Skeleton is really about athletes' rights and their ability to thrive in the sport, not come out of it in debt, and then move into their life as a USA Bobsled Skeleton alum and have that kind of be a positive for them, right? And then, but on Win, Win for KC, I feel like my passion is this local community, girls and women being empowered through their exposure to sports. And so it's um, just a little different and it's kind of fun to use, you know, different passions and skill sets to apply to both. I know like there's such a positive benefit to anybody, but uh, women in particular participating in sports. When I talked with um, Christy Ingram a number of weeks ago now, I think it can't, I think the episode would have come out as this one comes out maybe a month and a half or Mm -hmm. something like that back anyway um so she works with a, a company that um basically does kind of a similar thing on a larger scale um uh ernst helping, and young right uh, gosh i need to look at what the name of it ey global yeah ernst yeah. and young yeah um and like she was talking about the stat it was like I can't remember what it is. It's like 90 plus percent. Like, like the vast majority of like C-suite women um, have a Play background sport. in sport. Yep. And you know how important that is. Mm -hmm. um, it, it seems like such a simple thing for somebody who grew up in all kinds of sports. Um, but obviously I live a very different experience than like a young woman growing up in our society. Yeah. And it's something I think that's easy to take for granted. You're like, if you've grown up in sports and don't really pay attention to it. So it is easy to take for granted. The first time that I felt like my gender affected what I could do was when I won the Olympic trials in the 2004 steeplechase. And it was an exhibition only event because the steeplechase was not added to the Olympics yet for women. Yeah. And so I had won the Olympic trials, set an American record, a U.S. all-comers record. It was the number two time in the world. And I couldn't go to the Olympics because they didn't have my event yet for women. Yeah. And that was the first time. So I was 22 and that was the first time I ran into that issue. So it is really easy to take it for granted. You know, Title IX is turning 50 in a, a week or two here, nine days, I think. And um, you would think, okay, 50 years, so we're good, you know? <laughs> We're all, everything's all good. No need to worry anymore. Well, right. NIL absolutely has the opportunity to inadvertently threaten 
um, the opportunities for women to play sports at the collegiate level, because the fact of the matter is, you know, the sports that will have the money to meaning the sports where there will be money to pay a lot of the athletes, um, is, are, are the sports that cover the non-revenue producing sports, a lot of which are women's sports. Mm -hmm. It's just, that's where we still are. I mean, we're here in Kansas city where the Casey current is a relatively new team after the previous NWSL team in the city folded, despite being a two-time league champion. Right. And we are, uh, the owners, Angie and Chris Long and Brittany Matthews are building a stadium just for this team. And it is the first stadium built specifically for a women's team in the country. And, um, someone asked me, are you sure it's the first time? And I was like, yes. And yes. I, don't need to, I don't need to send you a link or find proof or, or validate. Let me make sure I'm right. Because it's such like, we haven't even come close yet. Yeah. Like, I know that it's the first time because no one has even come close yet. You know, we've been playing in the men's stadiums at best and the men's practice stadiums at worst or a high school stadium, you know? So we are still really far behind, especially at the pro level for women in most sports to get paid equally as men, to garner the same viewership, et cetera. And so it is definitely not to be taken for granted um, at any moment. So title nine turning 50, um, you know, we have to continue to fight for its place. Um, because that, that law had so many rippling effects for that gave opportunities to girls and women, not just at the collegiate level, but beyond. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately we're running down on time because I'm sure we could get into all kinds we of stuff. Go all day. Like, we're going like, we could really get into it. <laughs> um, but I don't, I don't want to run you over. Um, but does, so, um, each season I ask every single guest, a particular question for that season. So it spans all of my interviews for that season. This season's question, which I'll ask you, is um, something I don't think we do often enough. Um, so I'm hoping all my guests provide me a little bit of insight and the listener this, this season. So the question is, how do you celebrate your wins? Hmm. That is a great question. Okay. You know, I didn't want to say this, but it's honest. So I ran, <laughs> you're going to laugh. I ran a 50K ultra trail run with my sister two weeks ago. Yes. And um, it was the most surreal feeling ever when we got done because we really thought we might not finish. And we actually finished running and we felt awesome. And we were just so proud of ourselves because it hadn't been easy to train for it and everything else. And <laughs> I celebrated by drinking beer. <laughs> How did well, I celebrate? Lots of people did. That, they had beer at the finish line. Mm. And I was like, absolutely. Like I've been pretty disciplined with my training and nutrition and everything. I'm going to have a couple beers, but I would say like beyond that and a little more serious, I, this, this isn't much. It's not like, oh, I went and took myself on a trip or bought myself anything or what have you. It's much more intangible, but I just kind of like, when I'm going to sleep or when I'm driving and I just have time to think, I just really play it back in my head and let myself 
really bask in it. I mean, in high school, when I set, when I broke five minutes for the first time in the mile, which is a pretty big deal for a high school girl. That's, I, pretty, that's a pretty big deal for a high school boy. So sure. <laughs> much it's bigger best. deal. Much it's bigger best. deal for, for women, but I, yeah. I, yeah, it's for anybody, I think. Yeah. And I distinctly remember laying on my back in the middle of my bedroom later after taking a shower and whatever, and just thinking about that race and just basking in it. And when I set the American record at the 2004 Olympic trials, I remember like, you know, I'd, I'd like go to the grocery store and I'd stand in line at the grocery store. And I just think, these people in these line don't know what I said American <laughs> record. And it, but it's all I could think about. And yeah. I just let myself do that because I think you should, you should give yourself credit. And obviously at some point you got to come down off your cloud and move on to the next thing. But I think it's really important to be proud of yourself and let yourself enjoy something that you accomplished, especially if it was really hard to get there. Response wise, I think uh, you and Mark Allen are pretty much in the, the same same category, small variations, but basic same idea. Um, and so you can get on to your next thing. Uh, if people want to see what you're up to, get in touch with you, any of that kind of stuff, where can they find you? Twitter is great. Like you said, Ann Gaff, A-N-N-G-A-F-F. -F. Awesome. Ann, thanks for hanging out with me today. Thanks for having me.